This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 256. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. You can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Today we'll be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 256, Figueiredo versus Moreno. First, a couple of housekeeping notes uh, over on RotoWire. Our NBA draft kit's ready to go in full swing. Our NHL draft kit's ready to go in full swing. If you have an iOS device, you can check out those apps both on the app store you know where you enter your custom settings and get rankings that are just for you and your league so that that's uh, all stuff that you want to check out of course i got a little bias i'm the college hoops editor and we're the only show in town in terms of basketball right now so we're winning money come check us out on the discord use our optimizer daily articles we've got you covered there also one last thing before we jump in i wanted to mention an awesome promo we're running with our friends over at espn plus if you sign up through the links on our site you get a free month of rotowire that's full service all sports plus all dfs tools just go to rotowire.com slash subscribe and locate espn plus promo at option at the bottom or if you already have an account just click on subscribe now in the top right to begin okay we're here we're at ufc 256 john there has been carnage on this card like crazy we lost two original title fights you know we were supposed to have amanda nunez and megan anderson we were supposed to have piotr jan and Aljamain sterling i would definitely been excited about those fights especially the latter just this week we lost uh dwight grant against Li jing liang uh we lost carl roberson against dolce lung jimbula and of course uh i probably butchered that name but uh here we go and of course uh we lost angela hill due to a covid test te- leaving tesha torres to face sam hughes instead john can we just go back to fight island already yeah you know unfortunately with the way the world is and how this is going these days uh, this is what we're going to get. You know? mm-hmm. So just everybody just pretty much cross your fingers and hope we get nothing else between now and Saturday. Yeah, we've got 11 fights, and you know who knows how many of those will hold up. Of course, last weekend we had an eight eight fight card which is you know a little less than ideal you know hopefully they can bubble wrap these main and co-main event fighters and get them ready to go i don't know what it is about vegas versus fight island i think there's just more freedom in vegas whereas fight island everybody screened everybody mandatory quarantines after their flight it's all really really strict and we don't see this on fight island but for some reason in vegas you definitely want to be checking your lineups like right up until the very end on saturday yeah I mean, it's look, it's it's going that way in every sport. Uh, last night, what Des Bryant got pulled off 15 minutes before the game. He mm-hmm. couldn't play. It's just it's the way it is. If you're setting lineups in any sport for the foreseeable future until there's a vaccine, you you got to be on top of it. And you got to pay attention. Yep, we have to deal with it. But fortunately, Dana White and company have still brought us fight cards basically throughout this pandemic really only took a month off that still amazes me how they were able to get it together safety concerns or not but we have here you know some people might poo poo this card a little bit we've got a couple fights that i think are awesome here um you know in less than a month basically devison figueroa is going to be 
defending his title twice, which is, you know, there's so many champions in the UFC that have gone inactive basically the entire year. And you've got Figueiredo and Shevchenko and Izzy who are basically carrying it and being active champions here. Figueiredo gets a new challenger, Brandon Moreno, who also fought on the undercard of the last pay-per-view card. Um, The money line here. Pretty similar, Figueiredo, minus 300, comeback on Moreno, plus 250. Uh, the drafting salaries are right there with it, uh, 9,000 for Figueiredo, 7,200 for Moreno. The odds to finish on this, remember, one thing about Vegas, despite you know all the cancellations, we have a small cage again, right? And that's really been helping the flyweights, bantamweights, featherweights rack up the finishing rate uh, especially. So that's one positive, you know, if you want to take glass half full here. Uh, the odds to finish on this one as a result are minus 265, but... You know, you've got Devison Figueroa, who, uncharacteristic of a lot of the flyweights on the roster, he is a finisher. Do you think he can get it done here, John? Uh, I do. Um, this is another interesting fight. Like you said, these are two guys who both fought three weeks ago. Um, they both got early stoppages in their fights, so um, both are fresh. I don't think the short turnaround for either will give either guy much of an advantage. They were both look. They're both in the same situation. Um, it's obvious for Mar- obvious fight Moreno for Moreno. He has to take. Dana White comes to you and says, "We need a headliner for a pay per view. We're going to give you a shot at a title." Um, you know, obviously you go get it. Uh, Figueiredo fought Alex Perez a couple weeks ago. Uh, submitted him via guillotine in 117 seconds, and as has been the case for quite a while now, uh, Figueiredo just keeps getting better and better every single time we see him. He essentially um, just basically just grabbed Perez and out of nowhere and just said, I've had enough of this. Here you go. And just choked him out like it was nothing. Um, It's really his ability to rack up stoppages for such a small guy um, has been amazing. He certainly has more power than most flyweights, which I think is probably the bigger difference in the long run. We saw him submit Perez, but I think the biggest gap between him and most of the guys in the division is how hard he hits. Um, On the flip side, I would say that is probably Moreno's biggest weakness. Um, I certainly have underrated Moreno in the sense that his ceiling is higher than I thought it was originally. Um, He fought Brandon Royval a couple weeks ago, um, knocked him out with a second left to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. which was just the third knockout win of his career. So um, this isn't a guy who racks up a ton of stoppages. It was actually his first knockout in the UFC. Um, he's Moreno is more, more of a, you know, activity striker trying to swing together combinations as opposed to Figueiredo, who is more power-based and I would wager certainly has faster hands. Um I think this is probably, although I thought the last one was, I think this is a lousy matchup for Moreno, and I don't think that's really a knock on him. I think we've, we're kind of at the point where, considering how much Figueiredo's improving every single time he gets out there, I think there's a pretty significant talent gap between him and everybody else in the division. Uh, there are a few fighters in the UFC today who are champions who, when you look at them, you could say, oh, wow, I really think that guy's going to hold on to the belt for a long time. Like, you look at Stipe Miocic, and, like, you'd say, all right, anybody could easily see him losing the first time he has to face Francis Ngannou. You know, Jan Bakovic. Right, next time. Uh, you know, you look at Jan Bakovic, and, you know, he doesn't give, you know, just a couple examples. You know, that doesn't have the feel of a guy who's going to be a champion for an extended period of time. Um, I think Figueiredo's getting there. Um, I think he has the potential to run off four or five or six title defenses. Um, I think part of that is due to the lack of depth and division. There's just not a lot there. It's been that way for a long time. Um, it's certainly not as thin as some of the female divisions in this in the company, but you know, there's not a lot of high end talent. Um, you know, for example, last a uh, couple weeks ago, um, uh, Figueiredo was originally scheduled to fight Cody Garbrandt, mm-hmm. and to give you an idea of where they're at in the division, Cody Garbrandt has never had a flyaway fight in his career, and he was going to fight, and he was going to fight for the title. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to manufacture challengers, but um, you know, getting back to this fight. 
I just I ultimately I think the power gap between the two is too much for Moreno to overcome. Um, he's going to have to win with volume. Um, a extended kickboxing match certainly is going to figure uh, favor Figueiredo. So um, you know, I think I'm probably, um, as I wrote in the preview column, I think I'm probably a little too high on Figueiredo and a little too low on Moreno here. But even in that is- instance, I still think there's a pretty significant gap between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a couple things to add here, as far as the future for Figueiredo, not. You know, assuming he just gets past it, but you know, I think he will. He's going to be my pick too. Uh, you know, Askar Askarov is really the only one when you're looking at the rank list that might have a case for a shot at him. But I think Figueiredo has already said he wants to fight Henry Cejudo, so he's calling out a retired guy. I never really bought the Cejudo retirement. Of course, that would be that would be an interesting fight to me. I'd love to see both of those guys. I do not know who I would pick. That would be very very tough. And obviously, you've got Demetrius Johnson fighting you know overseas right now. Would be a great fight, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen after the UFC traded him away. So, yeah, you're right. They're looking at uh, you know him moving up if he clears out this division, which he conceivably, if, if Cejudo doesn't want to come back, he's only one or two fights away from considering this division cleared out. And then what's next for him is uh, moving up. I don't think I'd pick him against Piotr Jan or, who knows, Aljamain Sterling, if those guys ever you know kind of get it on here. But, but, yeah, it's very interesting. As far as this fight goes, not to look too far ahead, I don't want to. Uh, Brandon Moreno... Uh, you know, a solid fighter. He has a slight striking volume edge, but it's not really that much over Figueiredo. I think the path to victory over anyone that's going to, you know, actually beat Figueiredo is to A, stay on your feet, B, avoid the power shot. I mean, duh. And then C, you're going to have to pepper him with leg kicks. And then you can, and then in rounds four or five, I think that is where maybe he can be had. If I could see it, you, you have to be a complete, complete martial artist you know, one of the most polished strikers in the world at that weight class. And um, I have respect for Brandon Moreno. I, you know, he's only 27, so his best days are arguably ahead of him. I don't see it happening here. Now, the question for DFS is, can Figueiredo get that finish? I, may, I might have mentioned this. Uh, Moreno's never been finished. He has five pro losses, but all of them have been via, de- via decision. So you would think he's pretty durable. He's never faced anybody that hits like Figueiredo, though, and that's the real big differentiator for me. You know, looking at DraftKings here, Figueiredo is the third highest price fighter on the slate. He's uh, behind Chase Hooper and Cyril Gane. Um, I like using Figueiredo almost better than those two because 9000 isn't an exorbitant price to pay. The odds to finish on this are minus 265. You know, he is right about, you know, he's not quite the betting favorite as those other two are, but he's definitely up there. Um, you And then, you know, you the smaller cage. There's nowhere for Moreno to circle away or, or run. Not that he would by any means. I think he's going to be a game opponent here, but I don't see the outcome being a whole lot different from the last time. And I think Figueiredo, that makes him an excellent DraftKings play. You want to get a piece of this main event. Uh, if you're too low on Figueiredo, go ahead and take the other side. Obviously, it's the only five-round fight on the card, so I think you're going to accept, uh, expect ownership for Figueiredo to be up quite a bit, especially only at 9,000. But I think he's an excellent play. If you're only making one DFS line, this is a multi-entry sport. We all know that. But if you're only making one DFS lineup, I would say pretty confidently that Figueiredo has to be in it. Yeah, it's just uh, I'm just pretty much the bottom line for me is I'm worried how Moreno's going to be able to generate offense. And it's uh, it's kind of the problem I was worried about in um, Figueiredo's last fight against Alex Perez. I just didn't know. I just couldn't figure out where the offense is going to come from. He doesn't have any real noticeable advantage in any one particular area. And, you know, that's when you're facing a guy who hits harder than most of the people in the division, it's just that's a lot of gap to make up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're both in on this. I'd be pretty surprised if uh, for any reason he Figueroa wasn't unanimous in the staff picks. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to go with him and, uh, and, and not look back really. So I think we can move on. There's not much more to hit on that specific fight. Got to talk about this co-main event. Uh, I'm glad they added this one. It is a banger. We've got Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. Ferguson, a slight favorite around minus 165. Oliveira plus 145. DraftKings salaries basically reflect that as well. Ferguson, 8,600. Oliveira, 7,600. The odds to finish on this one, they're up there too. Minus 205. So Vegas likes this one. Uh, I mean, Pretty much most of the fights on this card, Vegas likes this one to end inside the distance. So I think we're going to have a pretty fan-friendly card here. Um, 
Of course, you've got Tony Ferguson. He's coming off, uh, you know, his title fight loss to Justin Gaethje. Tough break. He never could get that shot at, at Khabib. And, of course, if Khabib is retired, then, you know, if he really is retired, then we probably won't see him in Ferguson ever. Um, and you've got Oliveira, who is red hot, you know, running through, what, six or seven consecutive victories here. Definitely not the same caliber of competition here. Um, and that's what leaves me a little bit concerned. But what do you think about this fight? How do you see this one playing out? Uh, this is definitely, for me, the fight on the card I'm looking forward to the most. Um, this is good matchmaking. You know, we get on the UFC, or uh, me personally, for some of the, you know, the matchups they put together um they got this one right this is a good one um like you mentioned you kind of got to feel bad for tony ferguson uh they tried to book the fight between him and habib i don't know four five six times whatever it was every single time fell apart for a variety of different reasons or you know i remember tony ferguson walking across the parking lot at the fox lot for doing media and what his knee essentially exploded on him just all kinds of fluke things um Ferguson wanted to fight, wants to stay active, took a fight against Justin Gaethje this past May and uh, was essentially dominated start to finish. He ended up being knocked out with a little over a minute left, but that fight was not in doubt at all. That was Justin Gaethje from start to finish. Um, and believe, I mean, that was Tony Ferguson's first loss in upwards of six years. But it essentially immediately puts him in must-win territory, which is hard to believe. This one guy, this is a guy who has one loss dating back to May of 2012, and all of a sudden he's in must-win territory. Um, and part of my, I'm going with an Oliveira upset here, and one of the reasons for me was, well, there are two big reasons. One is. I'm curious how Tony's going to respond here. We haven't seen Ferguson has notoriously gotten better as he's gotten older, which is something you know you can't say about many fighters. Tony Ferguson has legitimately improved. He's now he'll be 37 years of age in February, and he's legitimately gotten better as he's gotten older. But we haven't seen Tony Ferguson f coming off a loss in you know upwards of nine years. Mm -hmm. You know May 2012, we're going on eight and a half years here. So I'm curious to see how he's going to look after such a tough loss and i just i was not obviously the, the result was was bad but i was not impressed by what i saw in the gaethje fight um all the things that made ferguson successful you know create creativity offensively pressure um you know beating his opponent to the punch all of that all of it was gone in the gaethje fight which was really surprising to me. I, I think we, I think we both picked Ferguson in that fight, yep. and it seemed to be a matchup that on paper would have favored Ferguson. And essentially, Gaethje tailored his game plan to who he was fighting, and Ferguson didn't. And the end result was an upset win for Gaethje. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just there's a little bit of there's just some unknown here with Ferguson. Um, you know, I openly admit this is a pick that could blow up in my face, but it just seems like a really really good spot for Oliveira as a value play. Um, he's red hot. He's won seven fights in a row. He hasn't lost in three years. Um, like you mentioned, the most, not most, but a good portion of those seven of those seven wins are against fringe competition. You know, he's not fighting guys caliber of Tony Ferguson and that's important, but Charles Oliveira has been in the UFC for over a decade, which is hard to believe because he's still just 31 years old. But he's fought a lot of big big names over his career, and I don't think Oliveira is going to be overwhelmed by this fight. You know, I think he'll be ready for it. And when I look at it, it was pretty much just I expected it to be close and competitive the whole way. Um, I think it's probably essentially a coin flip. And when I got deep down into digging, you know, into it. It just it felt like too much value to pass up. You know, there's a thousand dollar gap in salary. Um, you know, if you're the type to bet Vegas lines, um, I'd be all over Oliver at plus one forty five. I think that's a value price. All right, all right. So I appreciate that. We're going out on a limb and trying out an upset here. You know, I read your column. I was looking forward to it, and you know, and I tried to get on board with that. I couldn't hear, and there are a couple reasons. One is a more analytical base. One is a more narrative base. I'll start with the narrative one because that's fun. So, you know, we go back to that Ferguson-Gaethje fight for me, right? I think 
part of me, I, we had both basically written off Gaethje as a pure brawler and, you know, not a whole lot more than that. Of course, we were wrong on that. But I think a lot, so much credit has got to go to Trevor Whitman and that camp at Gaethje in getting him to change his fighting style for the Ferguson fight. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily so much that Tony underperformed so severely, though he did. I think, uh, Gaethje just got that much better over the span of, you know, a year. And I got to give him credit there uh, for that. So I I don't want to dog Ferguson too much for that. But there was an interesting situation here with this fight. Now, that happened in April. Remember how that fight was going to happen in May or in March? I'm sorry, that happened in May and the fight was going to happen in April, right? And remember how Dana White was really going to push through, kind of screw this pandemic. We're going to have a fight card in April anyway. Ended up getting canceled, you know, pretty late there at the last minute. And then we ended up uh, getting the fight again in May. Um, But for the April fight, remember when Tony Ferguson posted that pic of him making weight, making championship weight a month before he needed to? That... Tony Ferguson's a bit of a strange guy. If you check his Instagram, you check his his training type of thing. Um, you know, he does things a little bit unorthodox. He's an unusual guy. That was pretty unorthodox. And I also think that one was a little bit silly. He's not doing anything like that this time. I mean, he's got to have a hard cut here to get down to 155, as does Oliver, I imagine. Um, but... He's not doing the same cut twice in the span of the month. He's got a full camp, plenty of months, plenty of time to prepare for this one. So I'm going to throw that one. You know, I'm going to chalk the narrative whole X Factor column in Ferguson's favor. And then it's, uh, you know, I mentioned the more analytical one. Pretty much every rankings algorithm metric. You know, I'm a college basketball guy, so I'm all about strength of record, of course. And uh, every single rankings algorithm, you know, method here uh, that favors strength of opponent definitely goes on the side of Ferguson. So I'll just kind of read off um, you know, the list of opponents that Oliveira had for the seven-fight win streak. I'll give him Kevin Lee. You know, Maybe Kevin Lee's not quite what we thought, but quality. And then before Kevin Lee, we had Jared Gordon, Nick Lentz, David Tamor, Jim Miller, Christos Giagos, and Clay Guida. None of those guys are anywhere near touching the title picture here. And I know Ferguson's got a little bit of a break lately. I mean, his record of late, you know, you have the Gaith G loss, you know, Cowboy Cerrone, and Anthony Pettis, those guys are on their way out. Kevin Lee in there as well. Um, Rafael Dos Santos, Lando Venata, you know, and then we start to get into his big break here. So maybe not, but I'll give the strength of record to Ferguson and the experience here and the experience of going four and a half rounds with Gaethje on the biggest stage. You know, um, I would like to think that at this stage of, of his career, responding to that isn't going to affect him too badly mentally. So all these factors adding up lead me to pick Ferguson. Um, I, it, it's tough though. The next question is, do I use him on DraftKings? You're definitely hitting it on the head with obviously Oliveira. If you're right on this, um, Oliveira maybe finds his way into the optimal. Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, look, there's, there's a gap in talent of late between the, the, the guys they faced. I just, I think, I just think the value is too much. If you told me the salaries would be the same, betting line would be the same, everything would be the same. I'd probably take Ferguson, but I, I just I think there's just too much value here for me to turn down. Yeah, fair enough. And then there's uh you know, there's the finishing, of course. Ferguson has, you know, been involved in all these uh fight of the night bonuses. You know, Oliveira's had that as well. Um the path for Oliveira to get a high score, I don't necessarily see him doing that in a decision. Oliveira would be a guy I'd like maybe a little bit more on FanDuel that awards the grappling points a whole lot more, the transitions and the advances and those types of things. Uh, so maybe, you know, I checked there. I haven't looked at the salaries there yet, but, uh, you know, I could see that. Tony Ferguson, he's got that 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Eddie Bravo, a little bit unorthodox. He's he, He's good off his back. He's often invited opponents into his guard in the past. Don't want to do that with Charles Oliveira, I would imagine. You want to stay away from that as no. much as possible. Yeah, that's the last thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. If there is a gap here, I think it's it's Tony on the feet. But it's Tony on the feet what we saw before the Gaethje fight. Mm-hmm. You know, if Tony fights on the feet like he fought in the Gaethje fight, even Oliveira is going to be able to beat him up in the stand-up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, 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 it's value and, you know, I think there's just a little – a little unknown with Tony right now. You know, I feel it's hard to believe that a guy who's lost once in almost six years is in like must win territory. But given the depth in the division, that's like where he's at. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. I just think the Gaethje striking, the difference in Gaethje striking, what he's done under Whitman, is a tier above anybody else in the entire division here. Now he gets a guy who's not a striker by trade. I think we're going to see more Ferguson going first and going for combos. So that's where I land on that. I think that one will be interesting split when we go to staff picks here. Um, I don't know. I'm still the fe- the you know the the book's still out here on Ferguson exposure. What type I'm going to get on that? Uh, you know, I like the striking volume, so we'll see. But but it's a tough one here. We've talked about that one quite a bit, though. Um, of course, the most exciting fight on the card. You could you know make an argument both ways for that here. Let's talk about a lightweight fight that is going to set the table for the co-main event. Hey, Moy Kano taking on Rafael Fiziev, and uh, we've got. Fiziev is the betting favorite in this one, minus 155. Comeback on Moicano, plus 135. Fiziev, 8,400 on DraftKings. Moicano, 7,800. Um, odds to finish here, minus 115. You know, kind of a toss-up, small cage. You know, I think it could possibly happen here. Um, who are you riding in this one, John? This one surprised me when I looked at the salaries and the odds and everything. Um, these two guys were supposed to fight a couple weeks ago on the card that eventually ended up being headlined by Anthony Smith and Devin Clark. Um, Mike Cano tested positive for COVID, so they had to push it back a couple weeks. Um, I was surprised, like I mentioned with this. Um, this will be Rafael Fizev's fourth fight with the UFC, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he was knocked out in his first fight by Magomed Mustafev. Has since picked up unanimous decision wins over uh, Mark Diakisi and Alex White. And no disrespect to those two guys, but uh, Renato Moicano is better than both of those guys by a significant amount. Um, you know, Fiziev is 27 years old, but 28 years old in March. And he only has nine prof- all of nine professional fights under his belt. So, you know, this isn't a guy who has fought a ton of you know high level comments not a guy who's fought a ton period um obviously has not fought a ton of high-end competition um i'd like to see a little more before i say um you know i'm in one way or the other and um i think moicano's being a little underrated um this is a lightweight fight moicano spent the vast majority of his career up until earlier this year at uh featherweight he moved up to lightweight in March and immediately submitted Demir Hudzovic. Um And you look at some of the things Moicano was able to do at featherweight, and it was impressive. You know, this is a guy who at one point was 5-1 and one in the UFC. In there, victories over Jeremy Stevens, Cub Swanson. Perhaps most impressive is unanimous decision win over Calvin Cater. And we all know how hot Calvin's been. He's going to fight Max Holloway in a few weeks. Um, it got a little rough for Meccano. He was knocked out by Jose Aldo. He was knocked out by Chen Sung Jung quickly in both fights. Um, you know, my one knock on Meccano is he doesn't have any stopping power in his hands. He doesn't have a knockout win in his career, which is, you know, when you start facing better competition – you kind of got a th- like a little kind of what I was talking we were talking about with Moreno earlier. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to threaten your opposition with power, or it's going to be really really difficult to make up that gap. But um, again, this looks you know it's it's not often um, you know two of the first four fights we talk about. Um, I'm taking underdogs out underdogs outright, but uh, mm-hmm. you know I'm here with Moicano. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. a little. I'm a little worried. I, the only, the main thing I'm worried about here is Mikano's more is, is a submission guy, and Fiziev is a striker. And as we talk about on here, it's always more difficult to predict a submission than it is to predict a knockout because you got to get the guy in the right position or whatever. As opposed mm-hmm. to a knockout, you can fire one punch and the guy could be flattened. But the gap in competition level, just the gap in how often we've seen both of them. Um, it, the, it feels like maybe if not the line should be reversed. It certainly feels like it should be closer. Yeah. So. Okay, so here's the thing on this one. I looked at this, and I had the same initial gut reaction as you, John. I wanted to go Moicano. Moicano I've, I've heard of. I've seen fight plenty of times, you know, without having to go back and dig up, you know, a bunch of early prelim film and that kind of thing. I, I know what Moicano's all about. He's a submission specialist. He doesn't have a single knockout in his career. Um, and it just made didn't, – it didn't make sense to me, the prices here. And I was trying to find a way to um, – 
uh, trying to find a way like, okay, how do I pick Fiziv? Like, how am I going to, uh, you know, rationalize that? And and it was really tough. I mean, one, Fiziv hasn't been taken down in three UFC fights, but they've been against, like you said, lackluster competition there. Um, Fiziv has never been submitted. But then again, he only has nine fights. Fiziv's background is in Thai boxing. You know, Wikipedia says he's a blue belt in jujitsu here. That's nothing like Moicano. Um, so, you know, on paper, when you look at that and the strength of record, I reckon, I, you know, I mentioned all the uh, different algorithms that Fight Matrix likes to use in their uh, in their program, they call it, you know, on their website, you know, and I think there's some value in that, you know, if you want to take it from an analytical perspective. That loves Moicano as well. So all of those things considered... I want to pick Moicano. My issue is, you know, I'm putting Moicano down on the staff pick, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll start that out right away. But my issue is, the science is still very much out there on COVID here, and I'm reading. You know, I, I had to double check, look it up. I'm looking up that Moicano tested positive. This isn't one of those things where oh, someone in his corner tested positive. He may have been exposed. This says on MMAfighting.com here, Moicano tested positive and the fight is being rescheduled. You know, multiple sources um, and Moicano revealed his positive test. Now, I guess I can't rule out a false positive or something like that, but um, I the books the jury's still out here on on covid affecting different fighters and you know we're going to talk about this narrative in the next fight we talk about too but that's the only reason i can think of to explain the betting lines why they are the way that they are you know fiziv you know no known positive tests or anything like that moicano has that positive test does covid cause long-term lung damage you know are different strains in different areas different for different people it seems you know all across the board, you know the the close close contacts that I've had or that uh, that I know of that have that have tested positive. Some are symptomatic. Some don't even know they have it. It's so across the board. I have no idea what it's going to mean for Moicano, and that's why I think the lines are the way that they are. At least that was the only way I was able to explain it. Yeah, I I mean the one the only I agree with you. That the one thing I would say to that is, I would hope that if the guy was you know i just basically think you kind of have to take the fires at their word mm -hmm. if the guy steps in and says i'm ready to go and i'm 100 mm percent -hmm. you know i you know of course he could need a paycheck you know it, you know yeah. it could be a million I mean, different things the commission's got to clear him to fight so if there are any big major physical red flags uh he wouldn't be fighting on this card i get that you know medicals have got to have already been submitted for this week as long as the weight cut goes fine we're good to go oh we didn't mention that moicano all of those wins have been at featherweight he's not moving up to lightweight but he still has the height advantage here in this one so you know that's another his thing la that, his last one was at lightweight his last one was at, oh yeah against yeah the so he is one in okay. lightweight yeah yeah okay but so yeah. yeah no you know so maybe that's a maybe that's a new thing for him and and the weight cuts aren't so bad um but you know covid apparently you know does stuff to your lungs um, he wasn't a finisher at featherweight, so I don't think he's going to be a finisher at lightweight, you know, except for the submissions, of course. He's not finishing anybody with his hands. He's choking people out. We got it. You know, and he's been to a lot of decisions here. Will the cardio, will the lungs hold up in the third round? I think it's fair to question that, and I think that's what betters are doing right now. Officially on the record for staff picks, I'm putting Moicano down because, you know, we listed this whole laundry list of factors in Moicano's favor. And then there's just the COVID question mark that leads me the other way. So, you know, on my on my pad of paper that split down the middle, it was ultimately Moicano for me. Um, but there's just a little worry, little voice in the back of my head that, uh, you know, maybe it's not quite there. But I think he's all, all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can you can hear the indecision in me. You know, I can't really yeah. I can't really decide. No, and then I mean, we'll move to the next fight now. But mm -hmm. Kevin Holland and Jacare Sosa. Kevin Holland just tested positive, so you know yeah. you can mention that too. Mm -hmm. Well, and Jacare also tested positive. Yeah. I think. Oh right? yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, so here, yeah. So you could you could play at least you would think that it goes in both sides here. Let's let's do the the lowdown on this one. Holland eighty two hundred on DraftKings, Jacare eight thousand. It's basically a pick 'em here when I'm looking at the betting odds. That hasn't changed since. Uh, since um, we posted your column, both of those guys are at minus 110. So the line values technically on Jacare, odds to finish plus 100, also another coin toss. So with a lot of things even here, uh, John, how do you see this one playing out? Another good one, uh, a close one. Um, for those who don't know, Kevin Holland was supposed to fight Jack Hermanson in the main event last week. Um, Holland tested positive. 
needed an additional week, so the UFC essentially just took Marvin Vittori, who was supposed to be Jacare's original opponent, and swapped him in Holland. Of course, we saw what Vittori ended up doing to Hermanson, um, so he made out like a bandit. But um, this is essentially, while both guys, Holland and Jacare, were obviously you know in a training camp, um, they were not training for each other. Um, Holland, it's probably, yeah, we mentioned the COVID positive, recent positive COVID test for Holland, um, probably a little less concerning for him simply because this is a guy who fought Halloween night. So, uh, you know, he fought upward, what, you know, six weeks ago or so or whatever. So he should be fine to go. Um, Holland's been one of the UFC's most surprising breakout stars of the year. Um, he's four and oh this year in 2020, all four wins have come since May. So he's picked up, you know, four wins in a really short period of time. Um, the main, the main, th- wor- not worry, but the main concern here is there's a really, 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 even an aging Jacare Souza is better than Charlie Ontiveros, Darren Stewart, Joaquin Buckley, and Anthony Hernandez. There's, That's there's a heavy, heavy gap between Jacare and those guys. Um, Anthony Holland joined the UFC back in August 2018. And I have very little doubt he's a better fighter now than he was then. But um, there's a gap, and I'm interested to see how he's going to handle the better competition. Now, um, you know whether you think Jacare qualifies as high-level competition you know, in the latter days of 2020 um, at 41 years old it, you know, is open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly he's better than, uh, than the guys we mentioned. Um, it's, I'm not crazy about all the time Jacare spent on the sidelines. He turned 41 years of age, um, just you know, a couple days ago and he hasn't fought in 13 months, which I'm always really nervous of guys who have so much time on the sidelines at such an advanced age. Jacare was supposed to fight Uriah Hall in May. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, supposed to fight Uriah Hall in April that got pushed back to May. Um, at which point Uriah test, uh, Jacare tested positive and then the whole thing got canceled altogether. So he's been on the sidelines for quite a while. Um, this is interesting to me because Jacare in his most recent bout actually looked halfway decent. You know, I wouldn't say he looked like, you know, the Jacare of old or whatever, but he looked pretty strong. Um, Jacare made his light heavyweight debut in November, his most recent fight we were talking about. He fought Jan Vukovic to a split decision. As we mentioned earlier, Jan Vukovic has since won the UFC light heavyweight title. Um, so you could argue that, you know, a little over about a year ago, Jacare took the current UFC light heavyweight champion to a split decision. You know, pretty impressive for a guy who was, you know, 40-ish years old at the time. Um, this is interesting because this, this is straight up striker grappler battle um holland's three inches taller has a nine inch reach edge lands more than two significant strikes per minute more than jacare holland's at 4.68 jacare is at 2.54 um that's a pretty big gap on the flip side jacare averages 2.46 takedowns per 15 minutes while holland defends them at just a 54 percent clip um i like holland um i think he's good I think, believe it or not, I actually think a Hermanson fight from a matchup standpoint probably suited him a little bit better. Um, Hermanson's, you know, and also a stand-up guy. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get an aggressive striker. Unless he yanks um, a random heel hook on you. Right. And but and Jacare is tricky. Yeah. You know, he's, cer- there's, he's certainly the better grappler. And I think even at age 41 or whatever he is, he's going to enter – as the bigger, stronger man. You know, you look at Jacare, anybody who's ever seen him, the guy doesn't look like he's 41. Um, he's a big, strong guy. He's got a big upper body. And I could just, I could see him picking up a couple early takedowns and kind of just grinding Holland out. You know, I, this is another fight where I think there's, I just, I think there's value at a guy at minus, you know, the the Vegas odds are both minus 110. But, um, you know, I think there's value at 8,000 um, between the recent positive COVID test for Holland, uh, you know, between the recent change in opponent type, 
Holland goes from a guy in Hermanson who's going to be a, who's a striker. Now he's got a guy in Jacare who does his best work on the ground. And, you know, we've never really seen Holland against quality competition. So, you know, add all of it up, essentially another coin flip. I'll take the slight value in Jacare. All right, yeah. I mean, you make a definitely you make a compelling argument here. I'm going to go the other way on this one just because in his last five fights, Souza's only recorded been credited with one takedown and one submission attempt. So, if you if you look about the theoretical advantage here, it would be in Holland getting taken down by Jacare and maybe you know opponent type and all these things have something to do with it. Maybe Jacare's wrestling doesn't quite play at 205, you know what have you, but uh the advantage is only there for Jacare if he has to use it and you know you have to go with what you've seen of him lately and he hasn't necessarily used it. I think Holland can get to him get to him with his power beforehand and uh and that's why I'm going to pick Holland here uh you know Jacare's two fight losing streak then got covid he's 41 in the last 13 months you know uh, Souza's fought zero times and Holland's fought four times so definitely the momentum factor does it for me um also Souza in his last fight this kind of you know when we talk about DraftKings scoring here I saw a stat that was very interesting he went all 25 minutes with John Blakovich wasn't credited with a takedown or a submission attempt and only had 20 significant strikes and it was still a split decision here. So um, the, the scoring there, the ceiling doesn't seem there. So I'm going to go with Holland. Um, I'll, I'll call it a leverage play, if anything, and maybe that helps my argument. You get a little bit of leverage here because I think a lot of people are going to see Pickham. Line value on Souza, I'll go with the dog. But I think uh, you know using leverage, someone like Holland, who is more likely to get an early stoppage, at least in my opinion, will... Um, will help you kind of move up those DraftKings lineup leaderboards and differentiate your score there. Um, that's, you know, it's two sides of this, you know, quick quick stoppage for Holland or Jacare kind of gets him on the ground and grinds one out a little bit. Yeah, Maybe he, he better get him on the ground quick, though, because Jacare's head movement on in the stand-up mm-hmm. has slowed considerably. Yeah. And if he lets Holland tee off early, he's in a whole heap of trouble. So mm-hmm. those takedowns we were talking about, even if they're not landing, they got to, even if, you know, one and two, don't we say, and we talk about this all the time. If you're a grappler or you're a wrestler, if you don't land with takedowns one and two, there's got to be three, four, and five coming. If exactly. nothing else, it makes your opponent play defense. Yeah, especially when you've got Holland with, you know, I, I can't believe I'm looking at this right on UFCstats.com. Holland's got a nine-inch reach advantage here, so I think he can keep enough distance to be wary enough of the takedowns, pepper him from an outside, and as soon as he senses his opening, get in there with his hands. So that's why I like Holland on this one. You know, two sides to every coin. This is a close fight anyway. You cut it here. You're going to want, I would think, exposure to both if you're mass entering here. So um, we'll leave it at that and move on to the heavyweights. Here's a good one. I'm excited for this fight. You got a top prospect in Cyril Gane, uh, 9,200. Junior Dos Santos comes back at 7,000. Uh, Betty Nods have it about the same way, a minus 420 favorite for Cyril, uh, plus 335 for JDS. Odds to finish, minus 240. No surprise here with the heavyweights. When I looked at this, I was like, man, there is a huge, huge experience level difference between these two guys. And I think my immediate instinct was maybe the line should be a little bit tighter. But in the end, I think I'm going to go with the favorite. How about you? Have to. You know, you have to. There's uh, This is probably, we're talking in the open about how Yoel Romero was, you know, essentially sent packing at age 40, you know, had lost three of his last four or whatever it was. Uh, this is pretty, I would have, if those are the kind of guys Dana White's looking at, as far as saying their jobs are on the line, I would think Junior Dos Santos is exhibit A for that. Um, he's been knocked out in three fights in a row. Um, Jair Rosen struck Curtis Blades and Francis Ngannou. He's won exactly one fight since March 2019. Now, the flip side of that is, the, you know, Rosenstruck fine. But the UFC at eight, a guy who's about to turn 37 years old, the UFC should not be booking Dos Santos against Curtis Blades and Francis Ngannou. That's their fault, you know. So if you do that, the guy, two obviously them two and Stipe are the three top heavyweights in the world. You know, Dos Santos isn't on that level. And if you book a guy against you know those kind of comp- that kind of competition when he's not you know in that you know on that level, that's what you're going to get. Um, JDS's skill set is one that tends to age very, very poorly. Um, he's a one-dimensional power puncher. 
thus the footwork, his footwork's evaporated, which was never great to begin with. His footwork's evaporated. Um, his chin has gotten worse. It's essentially what you expect from an aging fighter who does nothing but brawl and has been in a ton of brawls over the years. You know, it, it's it's what you expect. Um, like you mentioned, there's a massive, massive gap in competition level between the two. Um, you know, Cyril has three fights in the UFC. He's never really fought anybody good anywhere. Uh, his three UFC wins are over Rafael Pessoa, Dante Mays, and Tanner Boser. Mm-hmm. You know. None, and no disrespect to those guys, none of them are household names. Um, the real problem Dos Santos, I think, is going to have here is that Cyril is a former kickboxer and striker by trade. So I expect him to come after JDS on the feet. And that's it's just it's a recipe for disaster. It's just mm-hmm. giving J, giving the looking at Dos Santos's lack of durability. Um, I, I just I don't see how you can pick him here. Um, I kind of feels as if the UFC has is resigned to their fate with Dos Santos and mm-hmm. like understand that you know this is probably going to be it and gains a legitimate prospect and say what you will JDS is a former UFC champion so you know there's name recognition attached to that mm-hmm. and it kind of feels as if the UFC's kind of just accepted that and is essentially just feeding him feeding. Dos Santos to gain in hopes of, you know, building him up before he goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the same thing. I think you nailed the analysis. It's spot on. There's going to be a lot of people though, who are going to look at this card, look at this lineup, maybe have a tough time finding value and think, man, Junior Dos Santos, former champion, 7K. If I put him in, I'll be able to get a bunch of favorites. No here. way. I just, I don't see that. I think people that, you know, come in, you know, on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, put a one, three, five dollar lineup in as a scratch off ticket. They're gonna see and you know, or maybe just doing it on their phone, on their couch, a little hungover from Friday, whatever. Um, you know, what whatever the situation here, you're gonna see a lot of casuals wanna play Dos Santos because they know who he is and they probably have him I mean if you've been watching fights for the last decade, you probably have a memory or two of Junior Dos Santos really tearing into somebody and finishing someone. So, you know, there's that, but just, I, I mean, you know, imploring you guys that are listening to don't be fooled by that because Gane is a polished prospect. The, I mean, the name recognition of his opponents, it, it's nothing, but he has looked, he's looked very good in those fights here. And, you know, part of me thought, well, maybe, maybe this is too much too soon. Give him a former champion that's been getting in there with killers lately, but, uh, I think Gane is the highest priced guy on here for a reason. I think he can get JDS out of there early, and I I, I just don't think there's much to analyze beyond no, that. No, like like I'm not exaggerating. Of the there are eleven fights, so there are twenty two fighters on this card. He JDS is li- of the eleven fighters on this card, given his price tag mm-hmm. and who he's facing in the matchup, is probably the last of the twenty two fighters that I would use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, twenty two at twenty two out of twenty two. Yeah, so definitely Brandon Moreno. You want to go Peter Barrett against Chase Hooper? That's the I only mean, one that's I, cheaper. I'd rather, t- I'd rather take the chance that Hooper just, you know, doesn't have much experience at that point. Yeah, I mean, I guess that can segue us into other fights. I mean, Hooper didn't look great against Bruce Leroy as a betting favorite. Now he's down here, uh, you know, against someone who I think the UFC strategically matching him up with maybe here. But uh, anybody else on this card that you think is worth hitting, maybe worth looking at for underdogs, anyone else like you want to talk about? Like, I'm curious what, if anything, Cub Swanson has left here. He's at 7,900. I mean, does that do anything for you? Yeah, I mean, that one's not terrible. Believe I mean, I, I picked three underdogs outright on the undercard there aren't a ton of there's not a ton of underdogs on this card that on the undercard at least that i love um i'm still not totally sold in Mackenzie dern particularly in the stand-up but she's going up against an opponent in virna genderoba who has 13 of her 16 career wins are via submission and if that's the case and it turned into a ground battle. I'm not picking against Dern, which is why I why I I'm kind of staying away from that one. Yeah, I mean, Jen was a black belt in her own right, and you've, if you've got two black belts, I don't know. Maybe there's not a lot of points to be scored in that overall. But I, I mean, Dern has you know been 
champion of you know so many different jujitsu things uh you know she's probably regarded as better but i that's yeah, where I'm, i might maybe look to get a little you know leverage on get a less popular play i, Not I feel mean gavin, great about it, i don't but. think gavin tucker's terrible mm-hmm. at 7700 against billy quantillo we haven't billy's only have a couple fights in the ufc mm-hmm. um it's just I, I mean, flat out, I'll say I don't know anything about Sam Hughes to the point where I tell you one way or the other whether I think her or Tish yeah. Torres is a decent pick. Yeah, I mean, the Tisha one would be good for cash games because I'm like 100% sure she's going to win, but uh, I, she doesn't really finish people, though. So that's the only concern. Gosh, I, I, no, and not, and it's she doesn't finish people, and uh, she has she's always had very little power. So, you know, and she's going, you know, she's going up against an opponent who. We don't know a lot about and that, you know, that that he, uh, Sam Hughes has a couple fights in LFA, but she only has six career fights, in, you know, overall. So there's just there's not a lot there for me. Most I think most of the value here is on the main card. Um, I, I, other than JDS, um, I'd be willing to listen to an argument on most any of the other nine fighters on the made card in a lineup. I'm, you know, we mentioned I'm not crazy about Brandon Marino. I just, I don't see the path to victory there, even at a cheaper price, but anybody else, you know, you want Kevin Holland, Jacques Ray. Um, obviously we mentioned Cyril, um, Tony Ferguson, all of there, you know, you can make a case to work all those guys, everybody else on that main card into your lineup at some point. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're, they're all, they're all pretty other than, I think they're all just pretty close fights, you know, that where you can make an argument. And uh, I can't remember the last time we did uh, or any preview I wrote up where I took three betting and DraftKings underdogs outright on the main card. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but I think there's decent value here. This card, you know, the Megan Anderson, Amanda Nunes fight didn't do a ton for me because I, I, I thought uh, Nunes would just steamroll her. But the losing the Jan Sterling fight was the tough one. Yeah. But they're, you know, they they rebounded pretty well. This isn't mm-hmm. you know there aren't a ton of yeah. fights here that the casual fans going to go nuts for. I mean but, everyone loves know, El Kakui, right? I mean Tony Ferguson. That's as good as you can do in a replacement. Oh no, that, Komen. that one's that one's good. Yep. I mean I you know but they, considering what the UFC and everybody these days is working with in such short order, you know this is an just if you want to go for comparison's sake, this is infinitely better than the two fifty five Figueiredo Perez Shevchenko Maya car. I mean that's that's not even debatable. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, the uh, the folks over watching that one, you know, um, definitely lost interest towards the title fights there. So this one, I think, will do a little bit better. So I'm going to leave it at that, John. That's a good way to put it. Look at your main card underdogs uh, that you have some experience with, and get the variance, and and hopefully it'll hit in your direction here. Uh, you know, there's a big uh, big tournament here. I think a hundred fifty thousand dollar top prize here. So UFC 256 is doing it up. Thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Of course, that's brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 256. For John Litterine, I'm Jake Litarski. Remember, if you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. Give me a follow at Roto Jake. Uh, John and I, we're going to be back in January. So happy holidays to you and yours, John. We're going to be back in January prior to UFC 257. You may have heard Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Uh, We'll be in touch then. Until then, good luck with those lineups.